This is Sistrionics, where we get nostalgic about the 90s and they say about boomers again. Hello. Hi. Um, trigger warning for boomers. <laughs> Always. Just we should put that in our podcast description. I'm Pip Roper. You are Izzy Choksy. I am Izzy Choksy. Speaking to you from Berlin. Speaking to you from Berlin. Hello, are you all right? I'm quite all right. I haven't seen you in ages. Well, we've not, we've not, well, I have, but we've not really done this in a little while. No, we haven't. Um, What is happening with Pip? Uh, All good, my front. All good, all good, your front? Yeah, so since we um, released the last podcast the Keaters are back oh, good in news. action good news. and my kid is in childcare five Full days time. a week oh, seven yeah. hours a day yes. um, oh eight hours a day I don't know yeah. <laughs> it's a while it's like 8.30 until 3.30 you're just deliriously happy about it oh, so so happy um, no it's really wonderful and um, family is getting back on track and I'm um, yeah I'm definitely being very proactive with my getting job situation nice. and I have the time to do it now which is yeah. just wonderful awesome. and such a relief so yes I am a different I'm a changed woman changed woman I can see it I still believe all the things that I said about care but honestly like it just it feels like I'm on the other side of something and it's uh it's um yes it is post lockdown finally Gosh. yeah we yeah we're very lucky aren't we in Berlin I have to admit I do think that we I think we forget, don't we? I have colleagues who have been to France recently where they've been like been home to various different places and they're like, oh yeah, it's bad. Like, and I think we forget like, oh God, you could forget here. You mm. could quite easily forget. Um, and and yeah, so if, yeah. You're in, if you're still in it, kids, fucking solidarity. I think it's more of like a, a lot of people are experiencing like a day-to-day reminder of mm. it constantly yeah. when you have to like go out and wear a mask mm. all the time. Whereas mm. with us, it's just when you go inside of places. Or on the train, yeah. Or on the train. Um, but I think when you're like walking down the street and you're seeing masked people everywhere, it's just a kind of constant reminder. But then you kind of, I don't know, you just get into it. It's a new, it's a, it's new, a new normal. Yeah. I mean, I, I travel to, I go to work, I commute to work two days a week and the face mask thing has become very normal mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. And I remember speaking to a colleague who was like, she works in, um, she actually works in a different job now in therapy. And she was like, it is the psychology of it to be honest so I was like it is the psychology of like we're wearing a mask to protect each other mm-hmm. like and it's yeah it's really important and um and yeah just just appreciate that it's, it's not the same for everybody still at the moment um I went to the cinema on Saturday which was fun um and that felt felt kind of normal again I think it's crazy isn't it how quickly some things just slip back to, oh this is oh segue I didn't I did it I didn't even realize I was segue. doing it nostalgia Oh yeah, what why are we, we nostalgic about? Why is it hip? so? Because so my brother recently went camping and he went to a caravan park that we used to go to when we were kids down in Devon at the River. Staycation? Dark. Did he staycation? He staycayed. Um, and but we, this is these were the holidays we used to take when I was a kid, like two weeks in the summer. Um, little caravan down to Devon took fucking forever these to drive holidays there. Are booming in COVID especially era. when you didn't have a TV or a phone or anything like that. Went down to Devon. Oh my god. The caravan park we used to stay at it was called the River Dark Country Park. And if anyone's ever been there, they know that it's the most magical place on earth. No health and safety. <laughs> Zip wires. 
galore. 60 feet in the air. <laughs> like, you know, just, there was, a, there was a water raft. There was a lake and there was a raft. And what I always find really funny is there was a raft and we used to push the raft. All the kids would go down and play in the lake all day and we would kind of organise and we'd be like, we're pushing the raft to this side now. And it was really weird. Kind of like Lord of the Flies, but in a good way, in a, in a non-bad way. We were like, we organised as children. This is where the raft is going now and now to this side. It's really funny. And I nearly cried. He sent me pictures and I was like, oh my God. That, and I think it's really interesting the way memory works. I don't remember 95% of my childhood. You know, you only remember, you don't remember the mundane things, obviously. I remember those holidays. Mm. And they were only two weeks out of the year. And I remember riding my bike down the hill fast as I possibly could. And it was utter freedom. I remember I had hair down to my ass. I used to go out and play. And then I'd come back and my mum would be like, please let me brush your hair. And I'd be like, no! Um, and I'm there'd be squirrels sure, in there. And I'm not sure why we did this, but when we were kids in the 90s, we would go to Euro camp. Oh, we yeah. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. ferry, go to someplace in France, which I, of caravan. course, could not be able to tell you. No. And we would go and stay next to Germans and French people, and we'd all play together. And... Uh, We'd have to do things like, for instance, get sunglasses from our parents who got us all the same brand of sunglass that was free when you bought um, bottles of Yop milk. Oh my God, I remember that. <laughs> and so you'd get this like Yop milk and you get like a free set of child sunglasses, which my parents did four times over. And we got did. these free sunglasses, which we had to use in a, a skit of grease. Uh, where we had to like go on stage and be like go Greece la, na, 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 so nice. for our Euro camp um, expedition and I was an incredibly shy child what? you wouldn't have thought it no. I was very very shy and I found this all excruciatingly painful mm. the fact that we all had the same sunglasses for some reason was for me <laughs> horrific and um, so I don't know why we didn't just do that in the UK but for some reason we would take our camping trips in France and go on go to Euro camp which was yeah and uh, I've since rediscovered this as like being a huge fan of the camper van now uh, rediscovered the large campsites which you have infected me with by the way every time I cross over the road I cross over the road to look out a nice camper van yes and I'll be and Alex will be like what do you think of that one? I'm like, mm, no, I don't. Yes. Oh my God. We anyway. are saving those pennies. Yeah, to get... One a second income so, so we can afford it next year. But also, I was thinking about things like Clarissa Explains It All, the 90s, Sister Sister. Um, I was thinking of the fashion. You know, I love 90s fashion. Um, but nostalgia is a particularly bittersweet thing, right? And mm. do we... Are we particularly nostalgic about the 90s because we were children there? Are you always... Are we ever going to be that nostalgic about the noughties or the teens? I don't think we'll be particularly nostalgic about the teens, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it's it's weird, right? Do you remember when Lady Di died? Absolutely, in 1997. It was summer. I want to say summer. It was summer, yeah. Because I just remember we had woken up early. That's what kids do, apparently. Obviously. And um, we went downstairs and we were trying to watch cartoons on the TV and there were no cartoons that you know there was no everything was playing the same yep. thing and yep. the same thing was uh news justin lady die has died and yeah. i just remember the the image of that black car in the tunnel that was all crushed up and that was that, that was just this image of like lady die died and it was this, this black crushed up 
car and yeah and then life was never the same I it think, felt like life changed I wonder if there's a whole because exactly the same thing no cartoons um went upstairs parents in bed and I said to my mom Lady Diana's died and she was like no love you dreamed it and I said and then I remember this very vividly I remember saying stop laughing it's very sad um and I said Dodie's dead as well how did I know he was how did I know who he was how did I know that he owned like Harrods yeah his dad owned Harrods I feel like that's something that everybody knew. knew and I was like Dodie's dead as well and she went no love you dreamed it and I said no mom and she stood up and she turned the radio on and she went, Jesus Christ! My um, mum my mom taped the funeral. I think we taped the funeral. Yeah. I remember my dad... We bought a candle in the wind. Oh, of course she did. We were, I remember going to Heswell Town Hall and my mum signed the condolence book. Um, and I remember my dad, God love him, he's functioning very close to the surface, could break... That man watches Apollo 13 every Christmas and he sobs like a child. And he's very close to the surface, could break down in tears at any second. God love him, which I think is wonderful. Um, and he left the room during Diana's funeral. And I think now if you talked about it with him, he'd be like, yeah, what I like. Like a bit like a bit weird, but at the time, you were collective you hysteria. Collective hysteria. It was collective hysteria. I think they do talk about it as like a psychological phenomenon of collective hysteria. It was just like this, this icon, this... This person who was, you know, like part of an institution that felt untouchable, she felt untouchable and then she was dead. Yeah. And I think, you know, back if we just really sunk ourselves into the media of 1997, we would realise that it was quite a naive time. There was a much more naivety, (laughs) naivety, what is that? Naivety (laughs) than there is now. And I think that's because, you know, we, we are exposed to so much more information today with like just just constant barrage mm. of like 24 hour news but also social media 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 we're constantly exposed yeah. to all of these things that are happening all at once and i think we're less shocked by the, you know seemingly impossible acts like we're the death probably of- like a lot more cynical as well right we're probably yeah. highly 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 cynical it's strange and I, pr- I probably think it's probably quite similar when you have like the kennedy assassination like it is interesting how like people i hate using that word it's interesting um when you have like people and moments that just kind of like sum up something and yeah collective hysteria but the 90s. Why are we talking about the 90s, Pip? First of all, because I love them. Um, and I hate them at the same... I love the... I don't know. I love the 90s fashion. Ugh, Gianni Versace, killing it. Um, Glamazons. Also, a lot happens in the 90s. Or a lot is established as the norm in the 90s. At least, that's how I see it. End of Cold War. Big deal. I also feel like it's only up until recently that we've really started looking at the 90s in a historical sense. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like before it was just like that thing that happened when I was a kid and now it's like, wow, that era was mad. But yeah, end of the Cold War. Yeah. Communism failed. There was no alternative to capitalism. Capitalism stopped being a word. It was just the norm. The fishbowl in which you lived. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so capitalist realism is, a tar- I think, a phrase coined by Mark Fisher... And the idea that there is no alternative, this is just the way. And like, you wouldn't really, you know, fish don't realise they're, they're in water. Like, we don't realise, we just we just won communism. The other side of this is something that won't work. Um, and this is it, this is the market. And the market starts to seep into every part of life, really. Because people can, I guess as well, You, I, I don't think you're going to underestimate the fact that all of a sudden people could be buying so much more. You know, you could kind of feel like, 
an investor in your own happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, you're like buying shit, which is gonna make you happy. Jesus, I can't count how many times I've bought a piece of stationery and thought this new notebook, (laughs) I'm gonna buy this notebook and everything will be okay. And I will sort my life out. You know, I will buy this plant and blah, 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 blah. And it's something I think that is really innate in us now. It just centralizes this idea that you are in you 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 consume therefore you are and therefore you're happy but also like buying success and buying um political buy-in as well so buying success as in tuition fees came in in the late what early 2000s late 90s like this idea of like paying for your higher education the idea of like you know putting down a certain fee and that has not been adopted in a lot of other places especially in in the rest of the eu those ideas haven't really been adopted and i think like there is something special about the anglosphere Mm. of capitalism it goes into hyper mode after the end of the cold war it's like yes we won and now we you know it's the end of history nothing will ever change like this is this is the way that things have to go forward forever and ever and ever and now we get to do it like on on crack crack. yeah and it's 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 just completely unleashed and what hyper capitalism does is it commodifies everything the human body education health it just it eats into every sphere of reality including what used to be the politics of the left before new labor Mm -hmm. so yeah i think i do really think that you see in the 90s this kind of seeping into politics consumerism and the centering and really i think we're going to get to the point where we're going to say you know oh it's about the individual to me it's less about the individual it's about the forgetting of the welfare state and the willful abandonment of solidarity more than anything else it becomes acceptable for you to not give a fuck about the homeless or or the poor or or what have you that becomes very it, it becomes less shameful you know and you can just make your money and that's yours and yours alone and yours and your families um and yeah i think that that begins to be applied in the us particularly with clinton after he has a pretty rocky start being elected in 92 and then losing the congressional election in 94 after kind of threatening to kind of up taxes because of you know like various different economic problems and then he decides well yeah how am i going to win this second election well call in the marketeer call in the marketeers like you know they'd know they'd realize that voters had become increasingly self-orientated and they saw themselves less and less as voting blocks or you know even as you know democrat or, or or republican they saw themselves as individuals who needed to be spoken to as individuals because they're spoken to as individuals every day as consumers like this is a pepsi you're different right you're different you want to drink pepsi that's what you want. Everyone's drinking fucking Pepsi. You know, you want your clear, your your you know floors, your kitchen floors, not to have a waxy finish when you clean them. You want to use Jif. Oh, do you remember when it was called Jif and now it's Chif or Sif? Sif. Sif. Remember that change? Earth shattering. Appealing to your emotional instincts. Yeah. You yeah. Know, exactly. The idea of like you know. Who do you really want to impress? Yeah, is yeah. it Janet from next door? Yeah. Or is it yourself? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. be better than you were yesterday. Exactly. You know, this like sense of like always like self-improvement and appealing to those uh you know, the baser instincts, like yeah. how we compare ourselves yeah. to each other. 
I think there was there's like a series of films I think that came out in the early 2000s that are commentaries on this but were also like very consumable films like Stepford Wives yeah is a really good example and Keeping Up with the Joneses as well is like a very you know these are quite softcore films they're certainly not academic films but they're kind of like films that you know, look at hyper-consumerism and trying to keep up with the person next door. It's so interesting that you say that because I realise when you're watching those films, I love Step Advice, even though the story doesn't make sense, there's certain, like, very obvious, like, problems with it. But they they were great films. And you realise they don't have anything other to say about capitalism. When people were making those films in 2002, they didn't really know why it was a problem. Mm -hmm. Because fish in water well, this is the way, this is the realism. Yeah. What is the way out of market living? Well, I would, mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking of it as market living. This is just happiness. I have choice. The other way is socialism. The other way is communism. Like, you know, I have choice to buy the stuff and it will make me happy. I have choice. I'm an individual. I want this politician mm. to talk to me specifically. And it turns particularly voters into consumers that believe that their opinions as individuals can be catered to and should be catered to Mm. i think you also see a trend in like the same years in terms of like um movies and dramas and stuff like their capitalism feels like there is it's there's nothing that can destroy it you know cold war james bond was obsessed with russia whereas like in the early 2000s the thing that could bring down america was a comet you know, you had these films with like Armageddon oh, yes, and Deep do. Impact. You know, this idea of like it would take an alien invasion or yeah. being wiped out by a comet <gasps> so true. to end the world. Like the world cannot end mm. by, you know, someone competing as a superpower. That is laughable mm. to America of the early 2000s. Mm. Instead, the only thing that, you know, uh, an American consumer could really conceive of ending capitalism and ending their empire would be not hyper-capitalism essentially destroying itself, which we are witnessing now, but instead like a comet from outer space. Yeah, literally nothing you can like, do about it, this. Yeah. It, it's so interesting, like looking at movies from that period in that lens, because they just they just, just show this ideology of like complete and utter like everlasting uh, prowess and everlasting power of um, American capitalist hegemony. Yeah, so where does this all start? I mean, we're kind of talking in this episode about hyper-individualization, hyper-capitalism, which really, like, grew its wings, right, in the 1990s, right? So in the 1980s, we've got Thatcher and Reagan coming in, they're questioning the welfare state, and they're doing whatever they can to defund the welfare state, but there's still quite a lot of solidarity. And there's there's also a competing ideology that they have to very much prove themselves against. 1990s, unleashed that competing ideology has been crushed you know soviet communism has failed and essentially communism is shown as bankrupt uh communism is shown as something that is absolutely no alternative and so capitalist leaders and capitalist democracies are no longer hindered by someone who could provide an alternative ideologically speaking they're completely unhindered and they're able to do whatever they want which is why the 90s are so interesting because you see the wings of consumerism of individualization of the lack of solidarity of the turning a uh, a voter into a consumer this is when all of these things gain their wings so like what are the things that really articulate this and how does it connect to politics 
Well, I always think of it when you think about Blair, Tony Blair, use, uh, well, in the 92 election where Neil Kinnock loses the election to the Conservatives, it was a massive shock because in the polls, um, every you know the, the people who usually vote Labour tell you they're going to vote Labour, but they had been galvanised by increased consumerism, increased capitalism under Thatcher and Reagan, and they actually vote Conservative, and it's this landslide. And I think that's really important to say that you did have this ideology. This ideology of individualism existed in the Conservatives, obviously, way before. Um, but this, when it, when you move it into the 90s, it infects the left. And I, I use the word infect, <laughs> that's an editorial. Um, but, you know, it infects the left. And the left decides that the only way we're going to do this is if we speak to them like they're consumers. Mm-hmm. So uh, focus groups are utilised and almost kind of weaponized. What So people are constantly being focus grouped and focus grouped and focus grouped to get Labour into power. So that basically Tony Blair, who's basically an empty vessel, you know, in a nice enough looking suit uh, with, an, with a... I was going to say a nice lo- enough looking wife. Who knows? <laughs> Really? really? <laughs> but I feel mean saying that. I mean, she can't help her mouth. Uh, <laughs> fine, whatever. She um, was the caricature of my childhood. Yeah, yeah, she with that mouth. Yeah, right? yeah. Sherry, Sherry, Sherry. Um, well, he was shagging Wendy Deng. What? Tony Blair was shagging Wendy Deng. Murdoch's wife. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, any day now, Rupert. Um, so, so I've been saying that for a while. while. I know, I know. Have Wait another... till the next season of Succession. Oh, excited. Find out more. Um, so, oh God, Tony Blair using focus groups. So yeah, you know, you start. You, you it's almost it's a real cheapening of political discourse because what it's saying is, I'll tell you whatever you want. You want lower taxes and you also want to stop crime and you want bobbies on the beat. We will do that. Mm-hmm. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? Or, you know, or also it, it could focus your your tax to go to welfare that you that you thought was righteous. Because, mm-hmm. of course, welfare, you know, that's just single mothers with too many children and they don't deserve it. Um, and, you know, those conversations still, you know, continue, continue rampantly. Um and you cause the backbone of austerity or the excuse for austerity, you know, so so you can kind of talk to people and just kind of tell them what they want to hear and not really have any policies. Mm-hmm. It just becomes this empty feedback loop. Um, and you can tell people, and people can feel like they're all, their customer is always right. And I don't know if you've ever worked in a public-facing job, um, but yes... <laughs> Yes. They are always right. Uh, of course, of course. Um, but you know, my my main ex- my uh, this makes me think of working in a shoe shop, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, I want these, but I want them with this heel, and I want them in black. Okay, that that shoe doesn't actually exist, uh, and if it does, it's not in our shop. Okay, but could you look in the back and see if you've got a pair like this, but with this heel, and I want them in black. Yeah, I could go and look in the back. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and look on my phone in the back because I know those shoes don't exist because I work here ten hours a day for shit pay. So, you know, the customer is not always right. So I once got an employee award. Oh yeah, because you can get those at Marks and Spencer. Oh, Marks and Sparks. I got an employee award for going and searching in the stockroom for a gluten-free Christmas cake. Did you find one? Did. 
find one. I did. Was, I it, was it just like one rogue gluten-free Christmas tree? There was like five or six. Okay. And it was it was at the start of gluten-free. At the time, mm. I didn't know what gluten-free was. Mm. And it was pure luck that I managed to find nice. it. But I did get yeah. a An proper award. employee award because that woman who got her gluten-free Christmas cake went to my manager and oh, said shit. that was amazing give that woman a, give that woman a pie give that woman a she <laughs> got me like 10 extra pounds that week that's so good thank you but um that was two hours wages <laughs> <laughs> nice probably still is oh, two hours God. wages well yeah you used to get a hot meal on marks and sparks you don't 13 anymore 13 years later don't anymore yeah so so yeah you'll be you'll, you know People are telling you like, I want this, I want this. And they, they're being kind of infantilized actually. You know, you're being told that you're being liberated. It's an illusion of freedom. Mm. We've given you so much choice. And I always find that really stark when you look at the amount of companies that there are in the world and how many brands you can buy and how they're all mm-hmm. owned by basically the same five companies, right? So it's like this illusion of choice um, and the illusion that you're being empowered by, by, the, 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 by you know, telling this focus group or blah, 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 blah. And it means that, yeah, it's just hollow. It just hollows out. And it, it means that these these policies kind of cannibalize the left. Tony Blair is, let's not forget a war criminal. He also introduces tuition fees. They also abandon clause four, selling off industries, doing all the things that like Labour's not supposed to do, but no one really cares anymore because this is just the way. Mm. And I can't tell you how many times like my grandmother, who's never had a huge amount of money, talks about the economy. Mm. I'm like, why are you talking about it? Like, what does it matter? Like the economy, you're not in the economy that they're talking about. Mm. You're not part of it. Yeah, and I think also this erosion of solidarity goes down to the fact that like this um, movement towards individualism is incredibly effective in that... I think it really starts... like it, it starts with the 1980s, obviously, under Thatcher and Reagan, but they don't do it as successfully as essentially the Democrats and the Labour Party do it in the 1990s and early 2000s. And they create this idea that somehow, you know, you're completely on your own. And there is no real such thing as society. And whatever success that you have, under Democrats and Labour, it's all positive, right? Like, you can do it, you just have to work hard and be, you know, you have ingenuity and you have, like, you know, creativity and you just work really, really hard and you get those degrees, education, 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 and then you're going to be, like, a successful person because you are going to be introduced into an unleashed uh, market economy and we just need to give people a sure start a helping hand at the beginning give them education and they can do whatever they want and under Tories it's like there ain't no helping hand you're on your own like you know if you fall into a difficult situation in life unlucky rely on your family and friends they're the only ones who have your back because there ain't no such thing as a welfare state and also anymore. bootstraps like anyone can pull do up, it pull up your bootstraps but what this what this leads to is like this feeling that you are completely an individual on your own, by yourself, on a sea. And what I think we're realizing as a younger generation is that there is something called a structure. And there are lots and lots and lots of structures in place. And those structures can be racism, for instance, or sexism, for instance. Those structures can affect your chances of getting certain jobs. Those structures can affect your um, ability to earn certain wages. Those structures can, 
you know, affect the way that money is distributed in our economy. We are not individuals. We are part of a whole. We are part of, you know, a community of people who live in a country together. And what we do as individuals affects others. And those other people also have an effect on us. This seems like basic, basic shit. But I think to the to the boomer generation, they found it very alluring to be told, you know, everything that you did was was on your own and every kind of success that you had was was by yourself. Whereas in actual fact, they were part of several structures that enabled them mm-hmm. to do so well. Housing prices were low when they were coming to buy houses. They had free education. They were able to get highly, highly educated for completely no money um, when they were in their teens and 20s. You know, social mobility was never higher than in their generation. Um, They were part of a boom, right? They they were big, big cohort, which means that if you're in a big cohort, your cohort's going to earn more money and you're also going to have more voting power as well. So the the boomers kind of grew up shaping the world around them but feeling um you know i uh, feeling i guess like they were doing it all by themselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, whereas i think millennials have no power <laughs> to shape the world around them because they haven't got decent jobs right we're all kind of living in you know jobs where we're, we're still not at anywhere near the earning potential that our boomer parents were in their early 20s and we're in our early 30s you know our earning potential is low our ability to get assets is low our ability to affect political change is low because we still have that massive cohort of voters above us who turn out and vote in large numbers so our power in this world is limited and we're feeling that and we feel less empowered than they do but I don't want to end on like a, a, a sad note there. I, I, I think that it's hopeful that we are recognising that we're part of a structure. Yeah. Because you don't fight climate change on your own. You don't fight a pandemic on your own. Like you, these, the, these things, you know, that we're facing as a generation that our children will face, they are things that we have to do together. And the individualism that kind of got, given you know crack status in the 1990s and like has followed us all the way up until now it's not fit for purpose that's your words but the thing that i think is uplifting when we actually when you see it because the examples that we have when you're thinking about individuality and structural systems, this is the thing is that unfortunately, I mean, I don't like to be too binary about stuff. I usually like to be very critical of things that are very binary. But in this sense, you're talking about, you know, individualism versus systemic things. And this is another thing I think I find really interesting in the interplay of, or sorry, in the conversations that went on around gender in the 1990s. Because after the, after Thatcher, what excuse have you got? What excuse have you got, woman, not to be the prime minister of a country? (laughs) What excuse do you have? Don't tell me there's a glass ceiling. You've got a woman in power. You know, it doesn't matter that she's an absolute ball buster. Didn't have any women in her cabinet. Wouldn't allow that. You know, like, you 
and this is where the individual comes in again and it's used as a weapon you know so sorry ladies you can come to the workplace you know you've got reproductive rights you can come to the workplace but by the way you will have to listen to me make some quite sexist jokes and we will go to strip clubs at this time and we'll make you know we'll do this this and this we might make jokes about you and blah 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 blah, blah. and we will judge you if you have to go home and take care of a sick child but if you don't go and take care of your sick child then what kind of mother are you so like you can go you can do it ladies in work but not on your terms yeah in work but not on your terms and And you should be lucky yeah you should be so lucky and then you know and this to me i always think you know this goes through the 90s not just through the 90s it goes through to 2008 and i always use the example of the book written by Sheryl sandberg in 2012 which when it was written i think had the most out-of-date title you could possibly imagine which was lean in and like lean in okay so just even with the title even with two quite small words you are communicating that you are you're communicating so much with those words lean in you're communicating that there is a system in which you are not the default person and you will have to shift your everything to make it girls so yeah you want to do lean in be a mother be a ceo you might shoot yourself in the fucking head <laughs> through stress. And I just, you know, I do, I think about my mom trying to do it all in the 90s. And it nearly ruined her. Like, you know, it was like, be a mother, be a full-time teacher, be head of special needs in a, in a primary school. Do this, do this, do this. And it was just, it was just so much. And so many women of that generation, they just didn't, it was you just had to do it on your own because you were an individual and you wanted you made those choices you made the choice to be a working mother you know so you you have to take on those those individual you know, things and not not taking into account that there was hatred of certain things so for example you know you i always think of things like the ladette culture ladette culture in the 90s in britain so you have people like zoe ball and denise van outen and women being like yeah we're like the lads like bit very you know Davina McCall Davina McCall you know still white attractive by European standards uh women you know um who, who'd flash their boobs and like fall out of clubs bit drunk you know people that you know women certain group of people don't mind seeing these women fall out of clubs flashing their boobs for them it's quite you know entertaining and delightful so you know and they and it was a good laugh you know because these girls yeah they're living it up they're living at large and they're kind of accepted because they are being men you know there's no acceptability of them being feminine and they also by the way doesn't last very long eventually they get blamed in the and slated in the press for everything and I remember you know my own kind of feminism my own kind of coming to the fore this you know stretches through when I'm talking about the 90s and feminism and third wave feminism we're really talking about the 90s I think till 2008 that's how I'm taking it anyway but like, you know, with my own form of feminism in my early 20s, you know, you couldn't be feminine, right? You couldn't be a serious woman and be femme. And, and then, the, and yeah, that's because it's a hatred of, of, it's the hatred of femininity first yeah. and foremost. You can be gay, but, you know, like, oh, so-and-so's gay. Yeah, he's gay, but he's not like gay. Yeah. And it was like, you know, being clever and beautiful was not possible. Yeah. And I guess it's also like this thing of like, you know, if you're going to be feminine, you better be dumb. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you're going to have that going for you, then you better not have anything else going for you. There's a real lack of complexity Mm -hmm. because these boxes, because of this, this idea that you are just, you are just, you know, like you're in these boxes and... 
And I guess it also plays into this idea of, yes, we are pouring another glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, true story. Last rec- recording, we had tea and it was shit. And you, and you didn't hear it. And the re- one before was red wine and it was really good. <laughs> so uh, figure that one out, kids. <laughs> the experiment. <laughs> um, Your elf. <laughs> <laughs> Yours um, So yeah, I think it also um, is reflected in this uh, something that you've uh, you've talked to me about before which is this idea of like (laughs) between conversations about Versace (laughs) you've talked about the idea of like girl power rather than woman power you know so girl power we grew up the Spice Girls what's that about oh my god girl power it's all about girl power girl power and girl power yeah also we wouldn't wouldn't be able to like tell you what girl power really was I mean what what were they even doing they could like box some stuff sometimes and they would like kick stuff over and they would just I don't know like what girl power was they would have like a bus and they had each one had like a really cool little section to themselves oh my god this is like a Spice World Spice Bus Meatloaf driving the bus we fucking loved oh I loved I loved Spice Girls completely but yeah. I, I mean like they weren't empowering women no they were why is it girl power they were infantilized yeah yeah for sure because girl power is less intimidating than, than woman, woman power. power because you know you sorry yeah girl power because woman power means we, we yeah we're not gonna pay you <laughs> we're not gonna pay you an equal wage well, like, see, but, but girls can be infantilized whereas women have the wisdom of the ages i mean yeah. women are like you know we carried this history we Actual we are witches. we are the the you know the pots in which culture is held and carried from one generation to another through spoken word through songs through rhymes through poems like we know we know where it's at yeah. you know once you get to a certain age you know where it's at but if you're a certain if you're if you're young mm. you're impressionable and you can be convinced that you you are empowered without being empowered at all yeah but don't forget um the little girl dollar the teeny bopper dollar they'll spend money mm-hmm. and the merch yeah so on cynically in that sense you know it was like what market can you appeal to? Likewise, we were talking about the metrosexual man, David Beckham Sarong. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Caused a stir. Um, and I think I always find the masculinity stuff very interesting. I remember my brother spending a lot of time and money on his hair and my dad being like, you know, and it was like, it was a form of like a masculine kind of like rebellion that he spent time and money on his hair more than you could imagine. And I think it's interesting that like very cynically, that was obviously made okay because of course, fellas, we're missing out on 50% of the market. We Mm. can get them to spend a fucking load of money on hair care and skincare, the men. We just make them feel insecure and tell them that, you know, there's now they can buy these things and, you know, buy the acne cream and people might, you know, women might want to shag you and like blah, 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 blah. But what is this all, what is this all led to? Like, how can we tie this to like what issues we're facing today? So like individualism, hyper-capitalism, like the, the, the consumerism that we see like taking over uh, our society, definitely in the 90s and the 2000s as well. Like, what is it, what has it led to? Well, massive financial crash, 2008. That's, to be honest, that is where I see end of era third wave feminism, where it's like, sorry, sorry, Cheryl, um, sorry, Cheryl Sandberg, bullshit. I'm not leaning in to a system that hates me and hates black and brown people. I'm not doing it. You know, we're not going to do it anymore. Um, so change the system. And the system increasingly 
looks like the problem is the free market. Like there's no more denying that anymore. You've shown us, and not even just in the response to 2008, how poorly market the market you know and capitalism would deal with that crisis and you proved you showed your art you know you showed socialism for banks capitalism for you know what was it socialism for banks um capitalism for the poor capitalism for the poor in that response and it's just not working anymore and then increasingly as you said you know how are you going to deal with climate change how are we going to deal with systemic racism how is it you know just the the examples keep coming at us thick and fast every time we hear about a black man being murdered by the police every time because just it's happened multiple times since we've talked about george floyd like it's happened so many times and then you put up the pictures of the white teenage boys and their guns being taken into custody like there's too many examples examples are piling up and you're starting to realize there is a systemic problem here and it's that there's too much money in the police in politics in lobbying in pretty much everything all the stuff that is supposed to be kind of sacred and safe no but i think the point that the point that you're making here is like how have they survived right so post 2008 they have no leg to stand on people were actually like I know that it doesn't seem like this now because people have made a bunch of really stupid electoral decisions based on a bunch of lies that they believed or whatever. But in 2008, it was quite clear. It was the bankers that done it. And it was really obvious. And it was the Lehman Brothers and it was the housing corporations and it was, um, you know, that Fred... What was our one? Fred Goodwin. Freddle. 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 Uh, it was Fred, Fred and Mary. I want Fred Goodwin, like oh, who sorry. was the head, Sir Fred Goodwin, he was the head of some oh. kind of like big bank in the in the UK. What was and I thinking of? Sir Fred Goodwin, I think he went to prison and you had all these like big, big bankers who turned out to have screwed us so royally. And then within a year or so, that story was morphed and changed. And I think that what we've been talking about in this episode is very much like lays the groundwork for how that narrative was able to be morphed into one that has kept right-wing politicians in power supporting capitalism and supporting the mistakes of capitalism as well for a decade after the financial crisis after such a well also because also you could blame labor right because you could blame because because they didn't look that different so it's very easy to say oh well yeah, you could throw in your lot in the towel and be like, yeah, they did start Iraq and they did raise tuition fees and, you know, and and yeah, it was their fault that, the you know, even though obviously it was a global financial crisis, it became very easy in that narrative as well. Mm. And it's very easy when, yeah, the right wing press is 85% of the press in the UK. Well, I think that's, yeah, that's what's interesting, isn't it? They turned it into a narrative of rather than it was the bankers what done it, it was government spending what done it. Mm, yeah, yeah. And when you'd ask a question, because it never floated with me, but it seemed to have floated with, yeah, with everybody else. everyone yeah, else yeah. that surrounded me, yeah. is like, obviously it was government overspending. And I was like, yeah. how does government overspending crash the US housing market? Mm. You know, how does government overspending affect currency markets all over the world? Like, how does government spending have anything to do mm. with a worldwide financial mm banking crisis but but it was this it was this narrative that was constructed that fit with the idea of 
government being a centralized institution, being a structure and hindering the, the market and hindering the individual. And, and they managed to do that very, very well. And I think that that was like the big sort of the golden egg of a lie that it has remained with us until until today. And it's it's only able to really be created because essentially like consumers, voters as consumers don't really care about no. the truth anymore. Yeah. They don't really care about facts. They don't really care about the reality because conservatives know that their policies will not get them votes. They don't fight on policies anymore. No. They fight on prescriptive policies that they've gotten from focus groups. What are focus groups saying? We're like control, take back control from who, who, who should we, should we say has got control? We can't say the Jews, the, the fucking Nazis said that. Hmm, who can we say that's got control? The EU, great idea, Bob, brilliant. We'll say the EU's got the control and the consumers need to get, sorry, the voters need to get control back from the EU. Great idea, Bob, in cabinet. They won't vote for it. They're not that fucking stupid. Oh, fuck, they voted for yeah. it. You know, it's and like, then it's, it's, add it's, on the nightmare of so of of um, five tech companies that are not beholden to anyone. That are this now. Now we really are on crack. Now I have to admit, when I really think about this, I get really fucking scared. I know we should be scared really all the time. We can't be. You need mental health space. <laughs> but like, it is when you when you think about it, and when you realize there are some people that might not agree with us on these points and might think that we're very hyperbolic and that this is, you know, yeah, now listen, the market's a good thing, blah, 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 blah. But really, when there's people who are like, no, no, I absolutely agree, we have done all that and we do want to control you like consumers and you are little sheep, then I'm, I'm going to use a fucking algorithm to do it and there is nothing you can do about it. It's going to turn your family against you or not against you, it's going to funnel them down a YouTube rabbit hole that is very dark mm. and very scary and very nasty and very nice enough people that you would think would be sensible will turn around and say, well, I think that, you know, I think that... Like, Corona's not real. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's not. Turns out that's... 5G, guys. You know, very, very really nice people. Good, good people. And when you add social media on top of that and you realize that we're even more you know inclined to take three word slogans like oven ready brexit that that is that is primed and ready for people to receive and be like oh it is ready i don't even i'm so sick of thinking about it but they say it's ready they say it's even oven ready the fact that you're not even you know it's so infantilizing but what's so depressing is that people seem to have have wanted it or a generation, a certain generation, trigger warning, boomers, want it. And I, again, I don't really see any way out of it. I don't see a way out of that way of thinking or that our political system can heal or grow or function with that political system, be it first past the post, be it the corrupt, um, uh, the, 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 you know, kind of, corruption in power right now be it you know a right-wing media um and unregulated social media um this you know this system they are too ingrained in being consumers and being told that they can have what they want hmm. we're the fucking well, we're they, the crybabies well they also have what they want what they want 
Listen, because what's so magical for a conservative Tory about the financial crisis is the answer to the financial crisis was essentially to stagnate the fuck out of wages. You know, the wage economy basically hasn't... We are not. We are not back to 2010 wages. Our wages are lower in the UK now than they were in 2010. Like, wages have not risen in a decade, but assets have grown. So if you're a boomer and you're sitting on all this pot and pot and pots, pots and pots and pots of assets, like, I think a majority of boomers have more than one house. Like, that's insane. That is absolutely insane to think about. But a majority of boomers, over 50% of boomers, have two houses. It's absolutely mad. They are so asset wealthy. And what the magic of it, of the of the 2008 crisis, was it didn't affect asset prices. Yeah. It didn't affect them. You and it should it. have done. It should have done. It should have led to a housing crisis that was on the scale of, of the US. We should have had foreclosures and people being chucked out and people being evicted because they had massive mortgages that they couldn't afford, but it didn't affect asset prices because our system is ba- based on you know, different financialization systems. And therefore, boomers could maintain the mythology of success, which is, you know, they worked really hard when they were little younglings and they didn't eat avocado on toast and they didn't go and consume lots of things. They just worked really hard and put their noses to the grindstone or whatever their phrases are, stupid wankers. They just worked hard. They got the really great jobs and they worked hard enough to get housed got that house, got 10 more and, you know, have now got a really healthy and nice retirement where they're able to just sort of like sell a house every week and uh, and afford the next cruise holiday. Do you know what I think as well? It's that like, listen, you're not in work. What are you afraid of? That we're going to vote for really good social care for you when you're elderly? Mm. Because that's that's all I can see is me voting for... A government that really invests in social care. I think they need to be a part of a structural shift for them to really understand that they live in a society rather than as an individual. They need to be they need to be affected by the structural shifts that have affected millennials. Like millennials have been punished by 2008 and ever since. And we'll continue to get punished with every single crisis, whether it's pandemic, where shitloads of us have lost our jobs and we're now looking for jobs in a very, very hostile environment. You know, it's the second crisis that I've lived through. I came into the job market in the wake of 2008 and now I've lost my job again. You know, it's just this kind of, I think this will carry on happening to us because there is no such thing as stability anymore. Yeah. Like it's all going to be rocked and rocked and yeah. rocked. Yeah, also in the but great they history of things. haven't been rocked yet. Yeah. And that's what's really fascinating is that boomers can hold on to their ideology of like magical individualism and capitalist realism because they've never had to question it. And they they haven't had something taken away from them because of something that is out of their control. I think like until something really affects them, you know, their houses get flooded. Um because of increased flooding, because of, of of climate change and so forth, like that's when it's really going to affect them. But that's that's the real that's the sting of hyper individualism, I think, and that's why because we have a hyper 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 individualized human being in the figure of Boris Johnson as the prime minister. The biggest shame about Boris Johnson, 
He is a horrific human being. But the worst part about him is he needs something to happen to him for him to care mm, about it. Yeah. Coronavirus, he didn't care until he got it. He was saying to people, many of your loved ones will die. Yeah, yeah. Those were his words. And then he realized he was sick from corona, went into hospital and suddenly took it a t- teeny tiny bit seriously, but not seriously enough, right? So this is a man who, who, who literally, you know, and then he's now on a, com- a campaign about obesity because it turns out he was really fat and that's why he went into hospital with coronavirus at the ripe old age of 50 something. Same age as Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Boris. I just wanted to, I just wanted to, I just wanted to put that and out Bar- there. And Keanu's had such a sad life. Oh my God, don't. No, but look at him. And he, he, he stays balanced and he says things wise things he's 56 years old Boris Johnson's 56 years old look at him with his age appropriate lovely girlfriend but um, back to it (laughs) but Boris Johnson has now taken obesity seriously because he sees it as a life threatening disease because it was life threatening to him so the real pang or the real the worst part about boomers there's many bad things it's basically no good things but there's worse apart from that they you know had sex and had us yeah, thanks right. yeah. that's like the yeah. best thing you ever did um everything else sucked. Um, <laughs> so the worst thing about this hyper individualization is that they will not care about anything unless it happens to them specifically well, pr- proof pro- proven in we are the the climate crisis is currently getting out of our hands we are fucked right like it's runaway not quite yet but yeah what, the, ice, the, the ice sheets are melting at a much faster rate so, than we thought they would and uh, extreme weather events are happening at a much more frequent rate. but we've got 10 years 10 years to halve emissions 10 years to halve emissions and we have a world that has changed and is changing now. You sound hopeful. How dare you get out? Because you have to combine outrage with optimism. You cannot you cannot be a climate activist and just fucking be outraged by everything and not have any solutions whatsoever because honestly it just ends your life now. But you know, we have 10 years. We can halve emissions in 10 years and we stay mm, near 1.5 degrees. And by 2050, guys, it's it's not going to be like it is now. We are living in paradise compared to what it's going to be in 2050 with 1.5 degrees and 1.5 is locked in there is nothing we can do about 1.5 it's locked in like enough emissions are being released currently that 1.5 is basically like we're done uh, ice sheets are melting in in a certain configuration 1.5 is it's it's our reality in 2050 two degrees is a disaster three degrees is apocalyptic four degrees we don't have humanity anymore. So yes, 1.5 degrees sucks. It's not going to be nice. We're going to have heat waves. Lots of people are going to die in old age because of heat waves and stuff like that. We're going to have to plant a shitload of trees in cities in order to cool us down in the summertime. Our climate is going to change. Berlin is set to become like Marseille by 2050. That's going to be our new normal. So yes, things are going to change and we're locked into that change, but we don't have to be essentially like Armageddon, which is what we're en route for. What we're en route for now, if we don't change anything, is 3.5 degrees by 2050. You know, 3.5 degrees, sorry, by the end of the century. And 3.5 degrees by the end of the century, what that is in 2050 is basically half the population of the planet on the move because they cannot live where they live currently. And if you don't like refugees now, then vote for climate policies. 
Because right now, if you vote for the right-wing governments and you're anti-refugees, you're anti-brown people, then you're basically voting for them to come to your shores. You know, you're, you're fucking yeah, we've, voting we've said this before. Like, to if you're, force if you're, them. If you're, if you're like a, a nationalist, like you should be voting green. Yeah. <laughs> like, because, yeah. So... Eco-fascism, people. Eco, eco, yeah. That's how we sell it to boomers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't want brown people on your shores. Vote green. Vote green. Jesus Christ. Well... I feel, I feel like I just got slapped in the face, <laughs> but in a good way. Yeah, um, climate change is real. Yeah, wow. But I feel like we could encompass a lot. That's why I wanted to do the 90s though, right? Because it's mad interesting. It's mad interesting. It's crazy. All this stuff starts to happen. And again, there's no enemy, guys. Another thing, talking about this from more kind of like socio-political um, axis angle himself always says that like you know in the past um the right have always had to throw a bone to the left mm-hmm. and they've throw stopped no throwing, bones. throwing bones and it sounds to me like the guillotines are being sharpened like we're gonna eat you like it's it's you know i don't it's, know it's fight back or die something's gotta give but that's what i think think about when I think about boomers you know they are an outsized voting block and that is a tragedy for the world and it has led us on a very big path of destruction however I went to the Querdenken protest like uh, two weeks ago the the fucking right wing is German protest you know those nut jobs and the only thing that they all had in common it was so weird. There was all imagine. different kinds of people there. It was a really weird, weird mix. You got like old, crusty hippies, and I'm like, "What the fuck are you doing standing Scratch next to Nazis?" Find a Tory. Um, you got these old, crusty hippies and all the old, like lefties, and there was a couple of people from my house actually, my house in Neukölln, um, and yeah, because we were all in a group chat Anti-vax, together and blah, stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, imagine, you know, these guys were like lefties yeah. in the yeah, '90s yeah, yeah. and stuff, and like, it turns out they're like. You know, Querdenken, they think differently. And um, and they went and joined this protest. And my philosophy is, if you're standing next to a Nazi, you're not on our side. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but the one thing that really combined them all was that they were, I would say, between the ages of around, like, 40 and... 80 Mm. they were much older and the vast majority were over the age of 50 Mm -hmm. so that's the thing that they really had in common so my thing with this argument of like yes the right feel like they're sharpening their weapons and in in america like it does look very dangerous when you have 17 year olds murdering protesters with with you know assault rifles that is absolutely terrifying but here in europe it's like you and whose army because because 2008 financial crisis really did disproportionately affect the young we don't have the buy-in we don't have a stake in this market economy anymore we don't have a stake in this this version of capitalism that you people created like you and whose army is going to protect it you're getting old and yes you still vote but strictly's on (laughs) let's put strictly (laughs) on next time election round comes and we'll just um is there anything else you'd like to say? I fucking hate the Tories. I fucking hate them. I hate them so much. I think we should just end with that every time. Every time. We fucking hate just the Tories. Just in case you I forgot. Did, I did change our Twitter uh, handle um, because it was a bit outdated and I was like, yeah, we still hate the fucking Tories. That's all you need to know about us. 
Um, that's how I'm going to introduce myself in future. Uh, follow us on Twitter, please. My name is Pip Roper. Oh, I hate the fucking Tories. Um, uh, but we live in Germany, and they're like, uh, okay. I <laughs> don't know who's Tories <laughs> yeah. are. Oh, the man with the hair. That was a bit Dutch. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't he know. He had baby. He had baby. Very with old man. Old man with baby. And now Young I'm Russian. Boy. And <laughs> he had baby with... with Novichok. Novichok. Baby I name next one. Ba- baby Novichok. Baby Novichok. <laughs> Novi- oh, God. Um, Novichok Choksi. Novichok Choksi. Don't drink tea in Russia. Ever. But Russian tea sounds quite nice, actually. And be uh, called Alexei. 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 That's what I call men who make my dinner. Alexei. Alexei. Make dinner. No Novichok this time. Make dinner, Alexei. Drive me place. Is this offensive? I don't think so. You can't punch up, you know. You got what? You can punch up. Oh, you just can't punch down. Can't put. They I'm... are like technically, economically, and socially below Europe, but politically, they fucking hold the strings. Yeah. So I mean, like punching up, guys. We're punching up. Minefield, minefield. Honestly, I don't think any Russians listen to our podcast, and if they do, stop messing with our elections. Yeah, but I'm sure. I mean, Russians who are listening to us are not. Listen, we don't Putin, know who Putin, stop messing with our elections. <laughs> we don't know who listens We to like this. democracy, you dick. <laughs> you dick. Um, if you're going to mess with anything, just mess with the boomers. Mess with the boomers. I think they were there, weren't they? Do you know what? Do you know? Okay, I would like to end on this. One of my favorite lines about the philosophy when you think about boomers and this kind of generation warfare that we live in. Someone once, uh, I remember seeing someone say, Fox News did to our parents what they were afraid video games would do to us. Hilarious. But also true and sad. So disgusting. Yeah. Like, okay, you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, then. Um, don't, don't be depressed. <laughs> we, I don't think we were, we were too downbeat. Quite downbeat. You, I, I've learned some things about degrees and how many degrees we can go. And listen, right. we are dealing with absolute apocalypse or things being shit. Things are always Not, shit. And they're so going to be shit. They're going to be different. We're going to have different. to adapt. Okay, like you have on. to kind of get used to adaptation rather than mitigation. We can mitigate the worst effects, but honestly, we're going to have to adapt to some effects because they're already built into the system that we have constructed. So. Okay. So, but the only way we can do that is together. So, fuck fossil fuels. Fuck fossil fuels. And yay solidarity. This has been Sistrionics. Sistrionics.